The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Rhythm is one of the most misspelled words uh, in the English language. R-H-Y-T-H-M. You're going you're gonna to know it after these five weeks, I promise. I, I misspell this word all the time, and so I'm training myself. Um, but we're also talking about this because it's also one of the most mispracticed disciplines in, in the Christian faith. And here's what I mean. People talk a lot about uh, finding balance in life. And I, find, I do this myself. I've used this phrase before, finding a balance, a, a work-life balance. We talk about work-life balance. We talk about a, a family-friend balance. We talk about a faith and, and social life balance. And I think what we mean when we say that is um, we have all this stuff going on in our life, all these responsibilities that we are in charge of that God has given to to us and we're juggling everything and we don't want a ball to drop we want to do a good job at everything we want to do a good job with our family and our friends and and our work and our our faith and growing in our relationship with Jesus all these balls we're, we're juggling all the time and when things become frantic and busy and chaotic when circumstances change balls drop and usually the first to drop is our pursuit of God our our faith our zeal for knowing God you know, we wanna, I want to give a different script by which we see our lives. A different script that doesn't see everything in balance, like everything is just a ball, but, but more so a rhythm, seeing that everything that we do is an overflow of our faith and embracing the truth of God's Word. A script that doesn't follow a, a motivation to balance our life, which means just doing everything in our life equally well, but living in our life in, in a repeated pattern of intentionality that flows from our love for God and an embrace of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so these are practices, practices that you and I can and, and should engage in throughout the week. And we're calling these, this rhythm the bless rhythms. You know, last three years, uh, Holy Cross has been a part of... Uh, somewhat of a quiet but very intentional leadership training in our church for the last three years in a program called Surge. And it's, it's a program that came out of Phoenix with several churches. Now uh, there's over 30 churches that are part of this leadership training. And the blessed rhythms are, are one of these cornerstones of our time together in our leadership uh, training. And it's, it's an acronym that's been given to us, uh, BLESS, B-L-E-S-S, that each, each letter represents a, an action. Uh, an action that flows from a belief in, in who God is and what he's done and what he's called us to. So each week we're going to dig deeper into one of these uh, rhythms. The first B, or the only B, is, is bless. We want to bless others because God has blessed us. We want to be a blessing because God has blessed us. The L represents listen. We want to listen to God in our, and also listen to our culture in order to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to to people that are not like us, to people who don't know God. We want to listen well. We also want to eat, and that's what the E represents. We want to practice sharing intentional time with other people, opening up our homes, uh, expressing acts of of hospitality, and sitting down with people and sharing this this time together over a meal or over coffee. The first S represents speak. We want to speak praise to God and truth to our neighbor. We want to Make Jesus the focal point of conversations. And the second S represents Sabbath. We rest from our work because God gives us a model of work and rest. 
We rest because God is God and we are not God. Because God is in charge. And so we want, when you look at all of these rhythms, these blessed rhythms, we see this this broad picture of intentionality, of living our life, not just trying to juggle all the responsibilities that we have, but living with intentionality and living a life that overflows from an embrace of God's good news. This blessed rhythm will help us apply God's truth to to all of life, I'm convinced of it. And over these last three years, as uh, many uh, of us have gone through this training, have made this a staple in our week, and it has been a tremendous blessing. Um, In fact, this isn't a script that that I give you. This isn't something that that I'm giving you, but it's actually a script revealed to us in God's word. Through his perfect word, begins with a man named Abraham. That God blessed Abraham in order that he would be a blessing. It stems from this idea that God went to Abraham, called him out of his life, blessed him, promised that he would be a blessing, and said, you will be a blessing to all nations. All nations will be blessed through you. And so this blessing was so profound that it would eventually result in the coming of Christ into into history. So today we look at the practice of blessing others because God has blessed us. And I want to I read uh, from Genesis chapter 11 and 12. You guys can flip with me or you can follow along um, on the screen there. Here's our text starting in, in chapter 11, verse 27, giving some context to our passage. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. This man, Abraham, Abraham, it's the same person. You're thinking Abram and Abraham. God changes his name in chapter 15 of Genesis. Um, Not real important for right now for what we're talking about. Um, Abraham means father of many. Abram means father, and so God is actually blessing him and also giving him a name that is fitting to his promise for, for Abraham. Um, bless others because, not because you are wanting to pay it forward, um, not just to pass it on, but something much more than that. Genesis 12 is not the peak of human flourishing. I want to give you just a, a real quick show you where we find ourselves here in Genesis 12. Things are not going well. God does not come to Abraham and say, you know, things are going so well. I'm in a good mood to bless. You're a great candidate for it. 
And so I'm just going to be kind and, and to keep this story going. It's the opposite. When we get to chapter 12, all of human history has, has come to a dead end. I mean, the, the last light is, is flickering off. It is just so bad. I mean, think about the, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, if you can recall with me. Chapter 1 and 2, God creates all that there is, and it's all very good. And then chapter 3, the fall, right? Man rebels from God, and uh, guilt and shame is, is, crashes into history, and they're kicked out of the garden, and things are going very poorly. And then so we see, let's see what happens. Let's see how God is going to turn this around and we flip to chapter 4 in Genesis, and we see the first murder, and Cain kills his brother Abel. And so we think, well, it has to get better from here, and, and things don't. Things actually get worse. And in Genesis chapter 5 through Genesis chapter 10, we see the story of Noah and the flood. And we know that this is very bad. Entire corruption has covered the earth. God decides to destroy all of his creation. With the exception of one family, he spares Noah and his family. Things get better, right? No. In fact, they get worse. After the flood, God starts over. Fresh start, but wrong. First thing Noah does is he, he makes an altar and he worships God. That's great. Second thing he does, he, he builds a vineyard and makes wine and gets drunk and gets naked on the beach. Things are not going good. Things get better, right? They get worse. Genesis chapter 11 Every, every, it's, the Bible tells us everyone on earth at this point speaks one language. God had blessed them with, with, the, with, with, with uh, innovation, with technology, through intellect, through intelligence. They are very smart people and capable people, and everybody's speaking the same language. So they can cooperate together, and they say to themselves, let's make a great name for us. Let's make a name for ourselves that will rival God. They build a tower. We come to know this as the Tower of Babel. God looks on their pride and their corruption, and he confuses them, and he scatters them. He gives them all different languages, and they now no longer being able to cooperate with one another. They scatter from their community all over the face of the earth. Genesis 3 through 11 shows that every dimension of humanity is tragically broken at this point. And in these chapters, we don't see people actually getting better as time goes on. As we might hope, we actually see just a new level with every chapter, a new level of depravity of the human heart. Jealousy, anger, murder, vengeance, arrogance, drunkenness, sexual disorder, arrogance, and pride. If you're reading this story for the first time, you should say to yourself, where do we go from here? Because, look, this is Genesis 12, and this is the rest. What could possibly happen? What will God do? What could he do? He's already kicked them out of paradise in the garden. He's already flooded the earth and started over. What is, what is God going to do? And God does something that only God can think of, that only God is capable of thinking of. He takes an elderly couple, an old man and his wife who cannot have children, and he says, let's go. You will be the launch pad for my cosmic redemption of the entire world. What? What made him great, Abraham? What made him such a great person and a great man? I mean, think about this. You cannot read the Bible without finding out about Abraham. There are three major world religions, Islam, 
Christianity and Judaism that trace their heritage back to Abraham. You cannot read the Old Testament or the New Testament without picking up something very explicit. This man matters greatly. And why he became so great is not because he was a man who, who paid it forward, who was a, was God gave him something good and he said, you know what, I'm going to have a pay it forward positive attitude. I'm going to bless people. The truth is Abraham was an idol worshiper. Abraham's, Abraham's family was, was, were idolaters. His whole family was. What made him so great is because the blessing of God came to him, calling him out of himself and into God's wonderful plan. And this wonderful plan is so transformational, so radical, so gracious, so powerful, and it flows out of everyone who is also in this plan, who's truly a part of it. So here's what we're going to see in in Genesis 12 for this morning. We are being shown what it means to be called out by God to be a blessing. To be a blessing. To bless others. And here's what it is. What does it mean to bless? Here's the first thing. To bless is to embrace God's call to live in the gospel story. You know, think of this. If you have any interest in Christianity, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you're you're even just wanting to know more about what it means to be a Christian. You probably know uh, something about Christianity. You probably know the things that you should do, the things that you ought not to do as a Christian. Right? You probably know, I can, I can pick out what's bad, I can pick out what's good. I have a general idea of that. But before we ask the question about Christianity, uh, what should we do? We need to ask a different question. That question is, what story do I believe I am a part of? Because we're going to give ourselves to some story. We are going to embrace some storyline uh, to live by in our life. And many of us give ourselves to a story that sounds a little bit like this. It's, let's call it the American story. As the story goes, it goes a little bit like this. Move out of your parents' house. Right? Get some form of, of formal education. Uh, get married. Build your career. Buy a house. Raise a family. Have some kids. If you're lucky, save away some money. Um, have a lot of friends. This is, this is the American story line. And so because this is a story that many of us live by, then all of our habits and our desires, our hopes and dreams um, are really shaped by this story. So when we lose a job, uh, it, it cuts at our story and it causes pain and suffering and grief. When we lose a relationship or when maybe marriage is delayed in our life beyond what we had hoped, it cuts at that story that we are living by and we're heartbroken and we feel the consequence of, of shame or fear or frustration, whatever it might be. Therefore, pursuing this story will dictate certain habits in our life that reach these goals. And so God is giving Abraham a, a different script, a different story to embrace. He says, go. Go. With a word, he invites him to embrace a different storyline. Go. God is giving Abraham a new script, a story to live by. He tells him to leave. And he says, go from your own country. Go from your kindred, your family. Go from your father's house. Think about what God is saying. He says, go from your hometown. Go from your reputation. Go from everything that you have built, your habits, your roots, your comforts. Your, your reputation, your, see his family here has been here now for a couple hundred years. They, 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 they camped out here. The, everyone knew them. And God says, go. Do you see what he's saying? God, 
God is always, any time God calls a person in any time in history or in any origin, any country, when God calls somebody, he's actually, he says the same thing to every single person. And it sounds essentially like this. Leave your story and follow mine. He says, leave your life and live the life that I have planned for you. And this is a radical call. Saying, Abraham, go. And I have a a new script for your life. This summer, uh, my my family, we moved uh, 3,000 feet down the road. I... I measured it, okay? 3,000 feet we moved down the road. We, the zip code is the same. Uh, the neighbors are virtually the same. The weather is the same. Uh, I even get to vote in the same place. And I never want to do it again. I never want to move. I may not never want to vote again either, but I never want to move. I never want to move again. This was so difficult. I, I'm still feeling the exhaustion of it. I can't imagine how difficult... It would be for Abraham to trust God at that time and in the times that will follow. But amazingly, Abraham does. He does give up all that that God called him to, and he goes for the sake of obeying God and accepting the invitation to join in God's story. You know, our kids kids will be raised in a Christian home. This will be their story. Um, Three, we planted Holy Cross Church, uh, a team of us, our launch team, we planted Holy Cross Church three weeks after our son was born. There was, we have pictures of in, our, in our huddle, in our living room, and our son Cohen is you know, in the bumbo on the table just kind of sitting there you know, eating cookies and stuff. We see him. He's part of that story. He's, our, our daughter is, is part of that story. They're raised, immersed in, in Christian thinking and habits. They will be honest. Our kids will be honest. Because we are honest, they will be kind, because Janae is kind, and they, they will learn to talk of God, to talk to God, because we pray together, and we, they, they see these habits of, of prayer. They will know what it means to be a Christian, and who Jesus is, and what he has done. They, they, this will be their story, but, but listen to this. Unless they respond to God's call, to leave their story and enter into his, they will remain dead in their sin. This is what the Bible says. Without embracing the call to live in the gospel story themselves, at best they will become terrific Pharisees, idol worshipers, legalists. In fact, they're already idol worshipers. I mean, just see what happens when you take away a minion or an iPad you will find out what they worship. It doesn't matter how Christian your family is. It doesn't matter how Christian your friends are. It doesn't matter how Christian your church is. Your proximity to those who are called into the story of God is inefficient and ineffective for the work that must happen in your heart. Proximity to people of faith does not mean that you have personally embraced God's call and invitation to go and enter into his story, leaving your story behind and embracing his for your life. God is showing Abraham true theology. It is about meeting God himself. 
True theology is not grasped only in the mind, but it is, it's practiced in life. Blessing is a practice of true theology. Saying, go, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Go and be a blessing. And for Abraham to obey God would be to actually live out true theology that God has called me into his story. I am now submitting my will to this story. And everything I do in my life must be an overflow of this story, this script that God has written for me. That is obedience. That is true theology. For the Christian to be a blessing is to understand that we have responded to God's call to live by his story and the life that he desires for us. So when we think about, God, what do you want me to do? What good do you want me to do for others, for the church, for, for you, for, for strangers, for non-Christians, for my neighbors? What should I do in my life? We must first ask this question, have I embraced God's call to go, to be in his story, to see myself not just a part of the story, but in it myself? I ask that question for you to ask yourself. Here's another thing. What does it mean to bless? To bless is to give evidence of true life change. So remember, God says to Abraham, I will bless you, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. When God blesses in Genesis and elsewhere in Scripture, he's telling all of creation, he's saying something wonderful. He's saying, creation, as I bless you, what I'm saying is I am giving you all that you need in order to fulfill your life and to live out your life as I intend for you to live. And, and you can trust me. What you have in me is sufficient. This blessing will fill you. It will give you all that you need to fulfill my plan for you. You're lacking in nothing when you have my blessing. That's what God is saying when he, when he blesses creation. And against all hope, the Bible says this as well, against all hope, Abraham hoped and believed in God. He believed that this promise, that what would come to him was going to happen. And so he lived his present life in light of this future, this future reality. Here's what God tells Abraham. Go, go from it all. Every symbol of comfort and security that you have to the land, to the land, I will show you. Go to the land I will show you. When it comes to getting directions uh, to places I've never been, here is what really gets me. Talking, on the, talking with somebody, say, hey, how do I get to your house? And they, and they say, well, I'll tell you what. Um, just get in the car, start driving, and um, once you get on the road, um, I'll call you and tell you the directions. My response back is, never mind, I'm not going. This just gets me so bad. I need to know, like, no, I need to know where I'm going. I need to know how to get there. I need to know the, the points on the map. I need to have this planned out. And God says, go. And he says, where? Abraham says, where? God says, I'll show you. Leave everything and go. I'll show you. I'll show you the land that I'll give to you. To follow God when we don't know exactly where we are going where he will lead us, what circumstances will come in our path, is to demonstrate true faith. And therefore, to demonstrate true life change. True faith and true life change. God tells Abraham, leave your hometown. Abraham says, where to? And God says, just leave and I'll show you. God tells Abraham, I'll give you a son. 
your wife cannot have children. I will give you a son. And, and Abraham says, how? And God says, I'll show you. God tells Abraham, now that you have this son, I've promised you, go up to the top of that mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham says, why? And God says, just go and I'll show you. I'll show you why. See, this is where we are. This is, this is where we are, many of us in, in our life. We, we want to know, God, just, I need to know this script. I need to know, will it be worth it? I need to know uh, what will have to change in my life if I follow you. If I am a Christian, will I have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend? If I'm a Christian, will, I, will it change how I use my money? If I'm a Christian, will it affect my work? Because, to be frankly honest, I'm really enjoying Maybe I'm doing some things that are not entirely good, but it helps me pay the bills. I need to know how things will change. What on earth could make a, a person, a man or a woman, do something like that? To say, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to abandon my story and follow yours and just show me because I'm going to follow you. What could make a person do something like that? And like Abraham. Here's another piece of the story that makes it just amazingly profound and difficult. Later in Genesis, God confronts Abraham again. and He says, okay, now that you have left and you have followed this promise that I've made to your descendants that... I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and you will be a father of many nations, and I will give you a land, I'll give your descendants a land that they will live in forever. God comes to Abraham, and he says this, I have some more news for you that you should know. Abraham, you will not see your descendants get the land that I've promised to them. You'll die on the journey. Your descendants will get it, but you won't be alive to see it. I want you to think for a moment. How would you react? How would you react in a moment like that? God, after all that I have done, this is how you repay me? God, after all that I have done, this is the reward that I get? Why did I leave in the first place? Why did I follow you? Why did I trust you? I don't even get to see the reward. We cannot underestimate how incredibly difficult it must have been for Abraham at times, to believe God, to follow God, and to stay on this this adventure and journey with Him. But here's a clue that I think gives us great encouragement into life of what a real life change looks like with God. And Jesus actually tells us about this. Jesus tells us this life change that happens in Abraham. So Jesus is talking about Abraham, and He gives us an important clue. And in John chapter 8, He says this. He's talking to the Jewish people, and He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he saw it and was glad. Okay, I don't know what that means. I mean, that's what you're thinking. I don't know what that means. Here's what this means. Abraham believed that God was faithful, that God would bless him, that God would be true to his promise, that God would be a blessing to him and his family. He believed God, and when he believed God, listen to what happens. He has a joyful confidence in God's future promise as if that promise was already realized. Abraham experienced a whole new life in trusting in the promise of God. He believed God and his heart was engaged in this. His heart was forever changed. And this changed, this was a radical change in his life. 
And the confession that resulted from this radical life change in his life was this. I will go where you ask me to go. I will follow where you lead. Even if I suffer and lose everything, you are my God and I want to be with you. You have my life. Abraham, you won't see this land. That's okay because my heart is full of your blessing and promise. I trust you. You're my treasure. God's God's wisdom here is something we need to understand. God uses Abraham to turn all of man's wisdom on its head. Chapter 1 through 11 is all about this one thing. It's all about man's pursuit of finding blessing for themselves. And the result is emptiness. Chapter 12 initiates a different kind of wisdom that we see. God is saying, go out from everything you trust. Follow me and I will make you great. This is the portrait of wisdom of God's word and how God works in all of creation. If you seek to be blessed, if you seek to make a great name for yourself, if you seek to advance your reputation, you will lose. But if you seek to be a blessing, you will be filled. No one, given the opportunity to reflect on their deathbed, will say, I wish I was less of a blessing. We all want to be a blessing, isn't that true? We all, I think, theoretically, we all want to be a blessing. We all want people to think of us as a, as a blessing. We all want to be, a, but, but we're not all ready to do what it takes to be a blessing. We're all not ready to follow that script. We're all not ready to lose. We're all not ready to sacrifice. I was reminded of this in, in an old uh, Seinfeld episode. If you're 17 or younger, you weren't even born when this was on, okay? Seinfeld, and this was the episode, they wanted to be a blessing to the homeless. And I think they called, like, they started this effort called Muffin Bottoms, I think it's called. And so they said, hey, we, we love the muffin tops. Why don't we just, we take the muffin tops off the muffins, and instead of throwing it away, why don't we donate all the muffin bottoms to all the homeless? Well, the effect was completely opposite of what they had hoped. Like, it was just it was anarchy. I mean, it was just, uh, it was uh, riots. The homeless were riots. You give us your, your junk. See, they wanted to be a blessing without giving away the things that were important to them. That's the moral of the story. And it doesn't work. See, attempting to be a blessing while never entering into God's story that calls us to die, actually like die to self, to sacrifice our life, to empty so that others could be filled, trusting in God that he is good enough for us. Without doing that, we are not we don't enjoy the, the, the effects of that blessing, and we don't truly bless others. This is the portrait of God's wisdom. If you seek to be blessed, you will be empty. If you seek to be a blessing, you will be filled. If we are motivated chiefly to bless ourselves, we will leave empty. And we know people like this. We, people have left this kind of legacy in our life or people that we have witnessed from afar. We say this person, doesn't. no one wants to be around them anymore because they have sought their name, their blessing, their honor But you know who people want to be around? The people who empty themselves. People who bless others at their expense. God was calling Abraham to give up all of his symbols of security and autonomy that he had in order to trust God and what God was desired to do through him. Being a blessing will always cost you something that you care about. To bless others is to give evidence that we trust God and we follow him wherever he leads us, even if it means sacrifice. 
To bless others is truly to give a witness, to give a testimony, to give evidence of a true life change. That when we have God, we have everything. That the blessings we do have are not used to be hoarded for ourselves, but to be used to be a blessing to others. You know, in the New Testament, uh, some, some might think, well, should a Christian be poor or should a Christian be wealthy? And, and I think the Bible answers the question like this. The question answers, God's, God gives all of us our lot. God blesses us according to His pleasure and His goodwill. And yet it's okay to desire to increase your lot in life, to increase your wealth. But, but the New Testament tells us this. It says, but when you do, do it with a motivation so that when you get more, you can bless more. How many of us think, God, uh, God would you give me a raise so that I can bless others more? Never. This is, I mean, this is historically true. You never, no one ever, when, no, a winner of the lottery is never a winner. God, you know, because we, we underestimate the power of, or the, the temptation of God's blessing. We misdirect God's blessing all the time. What would that look like in your life to, to, to pray this prayer? God, bless me so that I can be a blessing to others. Would you give me more money in my job so that I can give away more? Would you give me a raise so that I can give away more to people I care about? Because God, when people ask me for things, I have to say no and that breaks my heart, and I want to say yes. Would you make that possible? That's a rare prayer. This is what God desires to do in us, however. Let's look at the third thing. It goes hand in hand with this. To bless is to bring God's good to the world. You know, when God said about his great project of world redemption in the wake of Genesis 12, he chose to do so not by whisking all the good people up to heaven, but by calling into existence a community of blessing. Starting with one man and his wife, he then miraculously transforms them into a large family through several generations, makes them into a nation uh, that is called Israel, and then through Christ, into a, he forms these people into, into a multinational community of believers of every nation. All through the story, God has been molding people for himself, but also he's been molding people for others. He says, through you, you will be a blessing. Through you, all nations will be blessed. Through you, I will use you as a catalyst for my blessing to the whole world. Blessing is is vertical and horizontal. Blessing is vertical on one hand. Uh, Those who are blessed know that God is the one blessing them, and so they're blessed to call to be a blessing to, uh, to God, to give gratitude in relationship to God. On the other hand, blessing is horizontal. God's blessing comes to us, and it's self-replicating. It, to those who are blessed, they're called to be a blessing beyond themselves. The blessing of salvation called for the response of obedience in order that God would work through us to bless others. So what is the ultimate goal of God's blessing? The ultimate goal. Why, why do any of this? I mean, why, why God bless us? Why us bless, bless others? Um, that Here it is. That in this blessing, the curse of sin would be broken. And where there is death and brokenness, God would bring life and healing 
through Jesus. That's the point of blessing at all. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 3. The New Testament helps bridge these gaps between the Old Testament, Abraham, and the New Testament understanding. Here it is. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Here is the point of God's blessing in the first place and the blessing for Abraham. That through this blessing, the curse of sin would be broken by Christ. And that the spirit filling all who, all who embrace this call to, to be in God's story and to go, this would be self-replicating. This message would be proclaimed that the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles? Well, basically the Gentiles are those who are outside of the family of God. Uh, those who do not know this blessing, who were not a part of this blessing because, of, because they are outsiders. God's desire is that this blessing would be, that it would be replicated. Compare what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12 to what Jesus says to us in in Matthew 28, after he resurrects from the dead, Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, um, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, and I will be with you to the ends of the age. Tell the message that I have told you. Tell the story. Invite others into the story that I have invited you into, and the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. I mean, this is virtually, it, it, it's the same. Jesus is saying, I have blessed you, now go and be a blessing. I've blessed you in order for you to be a blessing. I'm a promise-keeping God who will be with you forever. To follow Jesus is to get out of our story, to embrace his story, to follow him, and to do the works that he has done, and to do the works that he calls us to do. And unless we can say this, Unless we can say, whatever you call me to do, I will follow you. We have not answered God's call. And we are not a Christian without leaving our story behind and following God's story. To embrace his blessing, to hope in it, and to be a blessing to others. When we trust Jesus, not only do we receive this blessing that never fades that was promised to Abraham, we are commissioned to also spread the blessing of Abraham. And here is the beauty on top of all beauty. Not only do we receive the blessing of salvation, we enjoy the blessing of being used by God to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation to other people. And we get to see life change before us. We get to see others leave their story that led to death and, and guilt and shame and, and further brokenness and embrace the hope of Christ. And we get to see real life change. And then we get to see this blessing replicated in their life. We get to see this community of, of gospel-driven people grow and be formed. This is the part of the amazing blessing on top of salvation. That alone would be just a tremendous blessing but we get to see God change people's lives. 
You see, the promise to Abraham is not dead. If anything, it was fulfilled in Jesus, preached to us, and still working in our world today. Do you believe that? I mean, do you believe that the promise made to Abraham, that, that, that through him uh, the world will be blessed? Do you believe that there is still blessing that God desires to do in, in our world? I guess, do you believe that there is brokenness, that there is brokenness and, and suffering and, and shame and guilt, that there are broken homes, that there are um, broken hearts, that there are people living dead in sin without hope? Well, the blessing has come to us so that we can be a blessing to the world. God has planned to, to use you. All of, who, all of you who come to trust in Jesus, God plans to use you as a catalyst for his blessing to the world. Now, this is different from me saying, God needs you. God is desperate for your help. God, pretty please, would you just sign up and do this because God doesn't know what else to do. Oh, this is not that at all. What is this saying is God in his perfect, holy, wise plan from eternity past has desired to pour his love into our life and to use us as the means of his message being preached. This is a great thing. There is some way that God wants you to be a blessing this week. And I mean it. And here's the thing. You're scared to do it. And I know you are. Because you're scared to lose. You're scared to sacrifice. You wonder, well, what will this mean for me? If I actually embrace this story that God has called me into, out of my story and into his, what will happen? And God is saying to us as a good father, he's saying to us, go and, and I'll show you. But I'll be with you forever. You will not be put to shame. And I am a promise-keeping God who will bless you. And I will make you a blessing. You're scared to get out of yourself. You're scared to get out of your comfort. You're scared to leave uh, what, the life that you have, have made for yourself. You're scared to bless somebody else. And here's what happens. When we put our hope in God's blessing over putting our hope in God himself, let me say that again. When we put our hope in God's blessing over putting our hope in God himself, it poisons our heart. It, and there are no... There are no uh, few blessings that there are in, in life that are more powerful on the heart than money. Money can be a, a thermo, thermometer of the heart. It can show us where our real treasure is. It can show us where our, ho- our real hope is. It can show us what story we are really living by, that we need this for comfort, for security, for position. It, it shows us where we place our hope and our trust. Children can be that way. Our job can be that way. Our friendships can be that way. Our house can be that way. It's a thermometer and shows us what, where we really place our trust. But here's another thing it could be. It could also be all of God's blessings, money, family, work, power, position, and influence. These are blessings. These can also be a thermostat, not just a thermometer showing us Hey, what's our heart look like? It can also be something that we, when we direct it to God, to do, to be obedient to God, our heart can follow. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You want your heart to be in a certain place, put your money there. Put your your blessings that God has given you there. 
put your family there? Do you want your family to, to know God? Then you go there. You put your effort there. You bless them. Do you want intimacy with your spouse? Then you go and you bless. Do you want to honor God with your wealth? Then you bless. Because here's an interesting thing, and, and you'll agree with it. Our heart follows where we put our money. Now, March Madness last year, I, I did several brackets, and, and one of the brackets was uh, there was money involved, you know, $5. Put $5 in. There was another bracket I did in secret on the side, and I submitted it, you know, like to CBS, but there was no money involved. And I had Duke winning all the way, okay? Duke won, by the way. Now, there are like over three, 3 million ballots in this particular tournament uh, that were submitted. And at the end of the whole tournament, I was, my ranking was 1,100. 1,100 out of 3 million. This is like, um, this is like one-third of one-third of 1%. That's how awesome I was. And so... <laughs> But I did not, this is the bracket that I did not put money on. And it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I didn't get any, it wouldn't have got anything. But I didn't put my money on that bracket. Do you know why? Because I didn't want to root for Duke. And neither does Jesus, I don't think. So <laughs> I, put, I put money on the bracket th- because I knew, the money I put bracket on was I, I knew my affection was going to follow. And I was rooting for that winner. And I was rooting for Arizona. And I was, I was, because my money is there, and so I want it to be fruitful. See, this is, you'll get it, because this makes sense. If you're having trouble being a blessing with your money, and you're waiting for the affection to happen, it will not. It will not. We are called to put our treasure where we want our heart to be, and our heart will follow. We are called to put our blessing where we want our heart to be. This is a rhythm that we should be in in our life. Not waiting for something to happen, but this, is, this whole series about, is about living with gospel intentionality. Living intentional lives and saying, I will be a blessing because God has blessed me. I will recognize the blessing that he has given to me. I mean, look, at he's called me out from eternity past to be in his family. Who am I? Who is Abraham? An idol worshiper. He worshiped the moon. And God said, I'm going to do something great. Let's go. And he says that to all who follow Jesus. What is keeping you from blessing others? What is keeping you from, from responding to God's call to, to go? To go from your idols, to go from your fears, to go from this script that you've been following, and to follow Jesus. So here's... This rhythm, here are, here are three ways to bless this week. Here are some categories I want us to think about and how to be a blessing. How can you bless God? Now, this is different from blessing people because you might think, well, what does God need? How can I benefit God? How can I fill him? How can I make God better than what he is? What do I have that God doesn't have? What do you give a God who has everything? And it's different when we think of God. See, the way we think of God, to bless God is synonymous with finding ways to express gratitude and admiration. We do that in our worship. We do that in our time of, of personal time of, of communion with God in our Bible study. We do that through praise, through singing. We do that through God. I'm going to find time this week to be intentional, to bless you, to admire you, to worship you. 
We, we, we bless God through obedience because obedience is the will of God that we would know his ways and walk in them. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to turn from my script and my fears and I'm going to trust in you even when it means loss, even when it means pain and suffering because I, I hope in you and you are good. How can you bless a fellow Christian, a sister, a brother in Christ? How can you ask for prayer requests? And how could you determine, God, I want to be a blessing. This in part can see yourself as, as part of a community of Holy Cross. Holy Cross Church exists because Abraham went. Because God blessed Abraham. You see, we are, we are part of a heritage of people that follow the call of God. So God is shaping a community here at Holy Cross. How can you see yourself as a blessing? Ask yourself, God, why have you placed me in this church to be a blessing? How have you blessed me with certain gifts, with certain abilities, with certain opportunities to be a blessing to Holy Cross? And lastly, how can you bless someone not like you? I'm talking about a non-Christian. I'm talking about someone who lives by a totally different script that you admire, that you like. I mean, this is about being a blessing to people who don't deserve it. Who are these people? Be intentional this week. From the beginning, God's people were blessed in order to be a channel of blessing to the world. Let's live in this wonderful rhythm this week and every week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessing. Like Abraham, we are we're idol worshipers. We're idolaters. We follow a script that really just seeks to advance our own reputation. We see it through our social media posts. We want everyone to know how great we are. It's embarrassing at times to see how glory-hungry we can become, how self-promoting our hearts are inclined to be. Have mercy on us, God. Forgive us for pursuing our script and our story. And thank you Merciful God, thank you for calling us out of our story and into yours. One that is gracious, one that is powerful, one that is eternal. And stir in us this conviction to, to use this blessing and all that you've given us, our time, our money, our opportunity, our skills and ability, our, our possessions and our home and our cars and everything that we have through simple acts of blessing uh, to others. I pray we would do that with gospel intentionality, that we would do it not to just put a a mark, a, a notch on our belt, saying that we're a good person, but that we would do it so that people would know who you are. Bless us so that we could be a blessing. Advance our lot in life and opportunity as a church and as a people, so that we can have a greater presence to proclaim your gospel and your story to the whole world. Bless us so that we can be a blessing, Lord. Give us opportunities this week to be obedient in these ways. In Jesus' name, amen.